This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. All right, this week's Pasha is Pasha Shemos. With the Israel going to Golos. So we have some very fascinating things to talk about. First of all, um, the Chidah asked the following question. The Chidah asks that the last part of last week's parasha we spoke about, that it says Yisem, that, that Yisem HaTzadik died, and they put him in a coffin, and they put him in Mitzrayim. And then we start to talk about Klai Yisrael and Golas and Eil Shemay. So the Chidah asks, he says, why are they next to each other? Yosef's dying, and Eil Shemay's been Israel. So he says, very interesting. He says, We know that Yosef HaTzadik And and he, he was Michael them for what they did. Right? So, we know that every generation, ten people, ten Sadiqim die because of the selling of Yosef. And we know the famous ten that died in a terrible way because of the selling of Yosef. So he asked why... Um, why did, did we get punished for this if they were Michael him? He says something very, very interesting. He says that when, when you do something wrong to somebody, right, so the way we, we, we're brought up, the way we learn, if you do something wrong to someone, and you ask them mechila, and they say they're Michael you, that's it, you're scot-free, right? You embarrass someone, and you, and you walk to them and say, are you Michael me for doing that? And she's like, I really Michael you. So we've always learned that that's, that's it, we're done. Chidah says, you're not done. He says, because he can be Michael you for what you did to him. But Ahmadine Shemayim Tzarech Lianash. He says, but in Shemayim, you're going to be, you're going to be punished. What does that mean? He says, Right? Even though when they sold Yosef, Yosef forgave them. But you also broke a commandment. Hashem said, you're not allowed to embarrass someone. You're not allowed to hurt somebody's feelings. So, we learned it wrong till now. We learned that if you don't ask the person forgiveness, right, you're not forgiven. That means that if you ask Hashem forgiveness, and you do tshuva from Hashem, it's not enough because you hurt somebody's feelings. So if you get tshuva from Hashem, I'm sorry Hashem that I didn't listen and I embarrassed this person, and you didn't get mechila from them, you're not completely forgiven. But people learn it as that all you have to do is get mechila from the person and you're done. No, you still you still didn't have very. You embarrassed someone in public. You spoke Lashon Hara about them. You hurt them. You hurt their feelings. So even though the brothers asked mechila from Yosef, but the Avera that they did to Hashem, that they sold their brothers, they didn't do tshuva on that. So therefore... That Sarei Ruge Machos happened because there's still a punishment from that you broke the law in Shemayim. So don't think that you can just go around hurting somebody and say, oh, you Michael me, you Michael me, oh, you Michael me, okay, I can go on. No, there's an Avera that you also did in Shemayim. It's a, it's a double sword Avera. This is a Chidon, this week's parasha, and it's, it's something that most people don't know. They hurt somebody's feelings. Okay, I, I asked the Mechila, leave me alone, I'm done. You're not done. You have to also do tshuva on that you embarrass that person because that's against what Hashem told us. Anyway, this week's par- in Pasha Shmos, so it talks about Shifra and Pua. Shifra and Pua were the first two 
maidservants, not maids, um, um, not maidservants. There were midwives that helped deliver children. Now it's a big thing, midwives, right? Well, I, I happen to know a midwife who happens to be um, the wife of a very close friend of mine. I think she delivered. I think she broke. Like I don't know if this is possible. She either told me she broke ten thousand or a hundred thousand. She's doing this for a very, very, very long time. She won't tell me exactly the number, but um, she she's a midwife and she people don't want to go to the doctor and they don't want all the operating rooms and everything like that. So so she delivers it. She actually works at a butter park, but she used to be she used to have a practice in Lakewood. Okay, so probably a hundred thousand. A lot of people. There's probably a lot of people having Baruch Hashem, a lot of children. She started very young in Boston, and she, I think it's a hundred thousand, not ten thousand. No, seriously. So it's a, it's a very big thing. So there were these two midwives, Shifra, Shifra, and Pua. Who were they? Shifra was Yochemed, and Pua was Miriam. So the king, Paro, decided that he wants to kill all the Jewish boys. Right? He wants to keep the girls alive. Right, he wanted Ronawa to stay, but he didn't, uh, he wanted to kill all the boys. But he didn't want to be called the murdering king. So he came up with a, a smart, you know, they, they, they came up with this, Havan Schachmat, to come up with a smart plan to kill the Jewish boys without knowing that he's killing them. So he went ahead and he told the following. He said, The Jewish women only used Jewish midwives. So telling the Egyptian midwives to do something would not have helped them. We only use Jewish midwives. So, um, by the way, her name was Pua, because that's how she used to talk to the babies. Pua, she used to say Pua, Pua, whatever that means exactly, but baby talk. That's how she got the name Pua. So, he said the fame, he said the following. When you're delivering the baby for the Jewish ladies, there was this stone, a flat stone, was like sort of like the cradle when they took the baby out they put the baby on the flat stone I guess when they were busy with the with the with the mother it's called an avnoyim so the king of Mitzrayim said when you take the baby out and you put him on the stone in Benhu if it's a boy the hamitim also suffocate him and when the mother says what happened you say oh your you baby your baby was a stillborn so that way they won't know that power that they're murdering them they'll just say sorry. You know, I'm really sorry, it's, it's a tragedy, but your baby didn't make it, right? That was the plan. He said, in Basi, and when you take the baby, you put it on this birthstone, and it's a girl, let it live. But these two, Shifra and Pua, feared God. So, of course, they didn't do that. They did not listen to the king, but the they let the little boys live. So the king of Mitzrayim, um, Paro, called the, ma- the midwives in. Why, why'd you do this? I hear you let the boys live. I gave you a command to kill them. So they said, The Jewish ladies, they're not like Egyptian ladies. They're animals. Jewish ladies are animals. Why? By the time we get to them to deliver the child, we do. They did it on their own. She didn't mean they're animals in that way. Animals don't have a midwife. They go into the field and they have a baby. Nobody helps them. Right? 
So she was saying, like animals give birth on their own, they gave birth on their own. By the time we got to the house, the baby's in the cradle. What you do, suffocate him and tell him he died of childbirth? They're not going to believe us. So we can't do this. It doesn't work. We get there, and they already gave birth. So Hashem rewarded them. He benefited them. Now listen to this passage. This is the first time I've ever seen this. I found it this week when I was preparing for the Shir, Baruch Hashem. And this is, for me, was one of the most important psukim I've ever found. And it's, it's a, an eye-opener. And this is what it says, the Pasuk. And Hashem did, um, benefited the midwives. And the nation multiplied. And they became very strong. Doesn't say yet how he benefited them, right? Because the midwives feared God, Hashem gave them houses. He made for them houses. So without Rashi, you'd think they, they, they came to the, they, 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 they left the, the woman who was giving birth and they, all of a sudden there was a palace. They're like, wow, God made me house, God made me a house, but that's not what it means. Says Rashi, what do you mean God made them houses? So Rashi says, they asked them about them, but they kahuna, houses of kahuna, kohanim came out of them, the Levia and Leviim, umalchus, and kingdoms came out of them, shikruyim, but them, that were called houses. Kahuna v'leviya miyachavad. Kahuna v'leviya came from Yechavad. Umalchus miMiriam, and Malchus came from Miriam. Okay, so these houses were not buildings; they were dynasties. Kahan v'leviim, and and from Miriam, David Melach. How do we know this? He brings down because one of her granddaughters. Married one of David's children. I mean, David's people before David. So, so from, from Miriam ended up coming out Kahuna. So there's two questions here. One is, everything Hashem does is Mida, Kenege, Mida. So, if these two women saved all the Jewish kids, don't you think the reward should have been that from them, Hashem would say, from all your generations, your kids will never go off the derech. Miriam and Yochaved, you save my Jewish boys, none of your boys, till Mashiach comes and go off the derech. That's like Mida Kenege Mida. You save my boys, I save your boys. But how is, you save my boys, my reward is to give you houses of Kahuna Levia, of Kohanim, and houses of Malchus. What does one thing have to do with the other? And the other question is, it seems to be here, the Pasuk begins to tell us something and then goes off on another subject. And Hashem did good for the, for the, for the, for the uh, midwives and doesn't tell us what he did. And by the way, the Jewish nation became very strong and, and a lot. And then it says, because uh, Hashem rewarded them. It should have said, Hashem did good for the midwives. And he made for them, he rewarded them by giving them Batakuna Batalavia. And then the next passage should say, And the nation became very big. Something's very wrong here. No, but something's very right. And I found this this week, and it's so true. 
there were two rewards. The second reward was that coming from them would come Kahuna and Leviya. But the bigger reward was that they were successful. And Hashem was good and benefited the midwives. How did He reward them? These children that they saved multiplied and multiplied and became very strong. The ultimate reward when you do something for someone else is very deep and 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 spent more time on this last night, but you have to be in it to really understand what I'm saying. The greatest reward for a person when you do something for someone else is not that Hashem is going to reward you because you take care of a kid who has cancer, so you'll never have children or grandchildren that will have cancer. You would say, many things that we do, subconsciously, we do because, well, if I'm doing this, Hashem will never never punish me with this thing that I'm doing. There's a famous Gemara about this guy who used to dig water wells for the people who used to come down to Eretz Yisrael. So he used to dig irrigation, irrigation ditches. And someone came running to his house and said, your daughter fell into the water and drowned. And he said... It's impossible that in the water, in the water that I dug to help others, that God would allow my daughter to drown in the water that I dug. Because she came out the other side. Say tomorrow. She came out the other side. So, because I'll explain that. They, they bring a kasha, but there was, there was someone that did something for someone, and that person, for instance, he dug wells for people, and then his daughter died in the ocean. So I, how could that be? So, so the, the Chazal explained, in the well that he dug, for people, no way he, she could die. In other words, not that she'll never drown, because he dug wells, but the well that he dug for people to drink, that well can't take his daughter's life. So, so there's a certain reward, a certain thing that we think about, that if I do this, then Hashem won't do this to me. You know, if I help kids, they're off the derach, so Hashem will reward me, that my kids won't go off the derech. You think that's the ultimate reward? Wrong, says the Pasek. This is such an important thing in life. The Pasek says the greatest reward of working with a child with cancer is not that your children won't get cancer, but that that child will be cured of the cancer. That's the greatest reward. The greatest reward of working with a child that's off the derech is not that your children will go off the derech, but that that child will come back on, on the derech. It's, it's not, it's, it's, so the Pasuk is telling us something here. It's a big Kiddush. The first reward that they got, what is by Yitav? Yitav means what Hashem did, good, toiv. What was the toiv that Hashem did for them? That they got to see the product of their efforts. That is the greatest reward. Not that you're protected because you help somebody, so my children won't need that help. But the greatest reward is that you work on something, and you work so hard that Hashem shows you that it's successful. That's the greatest reward. So it's not a separate pasuk. Not a separate pasuk. It's saying over here, Hashem did something good for the, for the, for the midwives. What was it? That's what Hashem did good for them. And by the way, Hashem said, and on top of that, I'm going to reward you and give you, and, and give you. So, 
when you do things, what you have to pray for is, is of course, you don't want your children to get sick, but when you're dealing with that kid, you're in Camp Simcha, you're dealing with that kid, right? It's like, the most important thing to me, Hashem, you want to make me happy? Cure him. You're a nurse? You want to make me happy? The person I'm working on, or a doctor, should be cured. Not that because I'm helping this person with this disease, I won't get this disease. That's not. That's number two. Number two is the button. But the number one is that, you, that you'll be successful. That is the greatest good that Hashem can do. That, that, that whatever you're doing is accepted and you're able to see the product of your effort. Not always you get to see the product of your effort. You're able to see. So the, these Mialdois saw right away that they're saving these kids, and these kids are having six kids at a time, and Christ was getting big, they're getting huge, and they knew that they were supposed to kill all those boys. It wasn't going to happen. Now, what's this reward? What's this reward? Me, the Kenegi, me, though. Why not Hashem give them Kohanim and, and, and Malchus? And the answer is that if the boys would have been killed, if they would have thrown, killed all these boys, the girls were still alive. He said, keep the girls alive. The girls would have married Egyptians, right? But the children of these girls would have been Jews. The women were Jews. The children are Jews. What would have been lost in Israel? What would we have lost? The children and children and children would also be Jews. So what's the loss? The answer is, if the father's a guy, the father's a mitzri, there's no more kahuna. Kahuna comes from the father, Shvatim. So if the father's a guy, we lose kahuna. We lose kahuna. Malchus comes from Yehuda. If the father's a guy, there's no more Yehuda. The Shvatim are gone. There's no more Shevet Shimon, Shevet Levi, because the father's not Jewish. So what would the Jewish nation have lost? The Jewish nation would have lost kahuna and Malchus. And therefore, that was their reward, Mida Kenegi Mida. Okay, nice. Now, very, very fascinating. So we know that Miriam, she put her parents back together. Yocheved and Amram decided to separate. After they had Aaron and Miriam, they decided to separate because once he saw, the king saw that they weren't killing these children on the, on the birthstone, he decided to not be secret anymore and to throw all the, all the boys into the Nile River to kill them. So, so Amram said, we're gonna, I'm gonna, you're gonna get pregnant, we're gonna have this little boy, and then they're gonna take this kid, a day old, and throw him and kill him. Why should we have any more kids? Right? So we're gonna have to separate. So they separated, or got divorced actually. Miriam said to her parents, time out, she was very smart, she said, you are worse than Paro. Paro's killing the boys. But you guys are not having any more children. You're killing the boys and the girls. Because if you have a girl, they'll let her live. So you, by separating, you're not having boys and you're not having girls. So you're worse than Paro. He's only killing boys. You're not having either. So they came back together again. Miriam brought them back together again. They got remarried. And who do they have? Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, there's something very interesting. This is a... I actually, a few years ago, somebody came up to me and said, could you tell me, Moshe Rabbeinu, how many brothers and sisters did he have? I said, are you kidding me? 
He had, Aaron, he had one brother, Aaron, he had one sister, Miriam. He goes, nope. He had two other brothers. I'm like, nope. <laughs> I don't know what Bible you're, you're reading. Maybe the New Testament, but Moshe Rabbeinu had a brother and a sister, Miriam and Aaron. He says, no, Rabbi Wallerstein, I will bet you $100 that he had two other brothers. I'm like, we, we, we crazy? Every kid knows, every kid grows up. Moshe was Aaron, Miriam, Aaron, Moshe. What, what are you talking about? So there's a Yonasin Benoziel. How many girls went to Amuka? Okay, so you know Yonasin Benoziel. So Yonasin Benoziel, in Pashas Vahaloscha, Pasachavav. So there were these two men named Eldad and Medad. Eldad and Medad were sitting in the camp and they were saying Nevi'ah's prophecy, and they were saying that Moshe was going to die before he goes into Eretz Yisrael, and Miri, and, and, and Yoshua was going to become the leader. Yoshua heard this, he ran to Moshe, he was very upset, he said, Kaleb, he said, destroy them. Moshe Menah said, Hashem gave them the vua. You, you can't punish them for saying the vua. Who are these two guys? Eldad and Maidan. Where do they come from? Says Yonis and Benazil, I'm going to read it to you in Aramaic. The Ashtiyaru train Guvrin b'Mashrisa. If you want to look it up, it's Perik Yud Aleph Pasichavav. Ashtiyaru train Guvrin b'Mashrisa. There were two men sitting in the camp. Shmei Dechad Eldad. One name was Eldad. Ushmei Detzanan Meidad, and the second one's name was Meidad. Who was their father? Beno, the children of El Tzafon Bar Parnach. Their father was. El Safon Bar Parnach. Who was their mother? Deleidas Le Yochevet Bralevi. El Safon Bar Parnach was married to Yochevet, the daughter of Levi. There's only one Yochevet, the daughter of Levi, right? Who was Moshe's mother. Bisman de Patra Amram, Gavra, when Amram divorced her, separated from her, Miss Nesivas Le, she married this guy, El Tzafan. Ah, the law, you laid us, yes, Moshe. And she gave birth to these two kids until Amram went back and had Moshe Rabbeinu. So they were actually older than Moshe Rabbeinu. So the Yonis of Menuzil says that when Yocheved was separated from Amram, Moshe's mother, she got remarried. She had two children, Eden and Maidan, Eldon and Maidan, and she went back to her husband and had Moshe Rabbeinu. So Moshe... We're going, to, we're going to get there. So Moshe, what? Wasn't it? Wasn't part of what Miriam said that that Amram has to take your head back because otherwise everybody would follow him because he was a leader? So why did? So, so there's two big, there's two major questions on this Yonas and Menazil. There's two major questions. What he's saying, Yonas and Menazil saying that Moshe Rabbeinu had two half brothers. Moshe and Miriam and and Aaron had two half brothers, Eldon and Maidan, who came from their mother. Now, there's two major questions on this. One, when a woman gets divorced and she remarries, she can't go back to the first husband. So how how could she, Yocheved, go back to to go back to Amram? Bigger question: If the reason that they separated was that they shouldn't have any children, what's she going married to someone else and having children? The whole reason they separated is we don't have any more children to throw them into the. So what'd she do over here? She had two more children. If that was the reason, so why'd she get married? Two very stocker questions. 
So there's a lot of Chazal on this. And this is like, some people don't even like that I even talk about it because it's like secrets. Nobody even knows like Moshe Rabbeinu had half-brothers, right? So now you could all make a lot of money because you go home Shabbos and you'll say like, uh, you want to bet I know something you don't know, right? You know, <laughs> not money, but you know, maybe you get a, a new coat or something, whatever. But and, you'll, and, and your parents will be like, who taught you? Like, wh- what shit did you go to? Like, well, you know, Moshe had a half brother. They're going to be like, no, he didn't. No, Moshe had two other brothers. They're going to go, no, he didn't. And you're going to say, really? Check out the Yonason Ben Ozilin by Leischa, Perikud Allah, Pasach Abav. And they're going to sit there and say, my daughter, where have you been? Where did you get this from? Yonason Ben Ozil. And you'll say you were in Amuka and you heard something, whatever. Anyway, so. No, these are two very big questions. So the, there's a lot of different answers, but the, the answer, I saw many answers, but one of the answers is that he, she did not, she did not want to be separated. She did not agree. It was a machlech between the two of them. She said, Hashem runs the world. You have the, we have the children. And then Hashem will save them from Paro. We have to have the children. Amram said no. Amram said, if he's telling you he's going to kill them, you can't have the children. So when they got divorced, she said, okay, if I'm divorced, I'm going to go get married. I believe you should have children. So she remarried and had these two children. Amram did not remarry. How could it be that she got, she got remarried and came back to Amram? So it says that they didn't keep the Torah. They kept the office of a saint who kept the Torah, but they didn't keep the Torah outside of Eretz Yisrael. So being that they were in Mitzrayim, he was able to go back and marry her. That's, that's, those are two answers. A lot of answers and a lot of questions on this. But it's a very out-of-the-box Jonas and Benozil. You're not going to hear it anywhere else. So I figured it's a good place to, to say it. Moshe Benu had, had two brothers, two other brothers, Eldad and Medad. They even rhyme. Eldad and Medad, right? Okay. It says also why their name was Eldad and Medad. I don't remember, I don't remember exactly. But that's a Jonas and Benozil. Jonas and Benozil says a lot of very interesting things. But this is Tyra. It means that, uh, it means that it's true. He had two other brothers. Okay. So, I, I might have learned this a while ago, but I think it's very important because it's coming up a lot. And um, we got a couple of minutes. I want to I want to learn a Medjish Tanchuma with you. It's extremely controversial. That's why I want to learn it with you because I like to talk about things that are controversial. Very very controversial. And thank you, Gesundai. Bless you. But being that I I very much believe in this and was taught this way. So um, you'll hear it and you'll decide what you feel about it. But this is Tyrus Maisha, and it's it's so interesting that that things that um, were written thousands of years ago, Mamish are today like really on target for our day for for our day. I'm sure every generation when they learned this, it was for their day. It is the first Medrash Tanchuma in the Book of Shmos. And the reason it's in the book of Shemot is because the first Pesach says, Ish A man and his house came down to Mitzrayim. So, the Medjish Tanchuma wants to talk about a man and his house. How to bring up children. How to bring up children according to this Medrish. And I very much believe this Medrish is extremely on target, but there's a whole world out there that totally disagrees with this. But Lamaisa the product of the world today of bringing up your children, the, the psychology, psychological world that blames, now again, it's not all psychologists, but the psychology of the world is that it's not your fault, 
Nothing's your fault. It's your parents' fault. It's God's fault. Your teacher's fault. The mirror's fault. The wall's fault. The cat's fault. It's everybody's fault. And that's why today, when I was growing up, there was no such thing. Today, it's called no-fault insurance. <laughs> Whether you cracked into the guy or the guy cracked in you, you're covered. Because it doesn't matter if it's your fault or not. So today, all your insurance is no fault. Ah, you cracked into the tree. Sorry, insurance, insurance company has to pay. It's called no-fault insurance. All our insurance is no-fault insurance. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You were careless. No fault. It's nice. So today, we grow up and it's like, not my fault. Sometimes it isn't. Sometimes it isn't. I'm going to say something very harsh. Very harsh. I'm probably going to get a lot of emails for this. It's not your fault you fell. But many times it's your fault you didn't get up. Ow. Ow. Rabbi. That's not fair. So not right. Many times, most of the time, it's not your fault you fell. I agree. But deep, deep, deep down, the end of time, not all the time, but let's say some of the time, it is your fault you didn't get up. Sometimes you fall and you can't get up because you don't have the tools to get up. So get the tools to get up. Every child falls before they walk. But they got to get up to start walking. You have to have that. that that's in a human being from when, when we're created. To struggle. I said this in, in, in Landau's shul. I'll try to say it in Lush and Nucky as clean as I can so that you understand what I'm saying. Struggle. Struggle, which is something this generation doesn't like to struggle struggle in the physical world builds muscle if you want to if you want to build muscle you got to lift weights and if you start off with 10 pounds you're going to get to a certain muscle amount but if you don't go to 20 or 30 or 40 you're just going to stay there and in the end you'll lose the muscle the, the more the, the more pressure against you the stronger you have to push the stronger you push the more muscle you build why did Hashem do that why did he build the world like that Right, and the and the and the answer is that you have muscles. I'll give you a little science. You have muscles in this world, Muhammad, right? That you don't you don't get that muscle. The only reason you get that muscle because there's something called gravity. If I was to take you in space where there's no gravity, you'd have no leg muscle. You'd have no arm muscle. You would not be able to move your arms and legs after a while because there's nothing pushing against. When you walk, there's gravity pushing you down, pushing you down. You get up, it's pushing you down. You walk, you're walking against gravity. You're always fighting gravity. That builds certain muscles in your body. You don't even know about it. But if I put you in space where there's no gravity, you have no muscle tone. You have no muscle tone. The way Hashem created us, I had knee surgery, right? I was playing basketball once and I had, I had huge knee surgery. And because of that surgery, in those days, right, it wasn't like today where they do osteoscopic and you're out of the hospital and you're walking. You you have to lay in, in, in bed in traction, right? That was the main attraction because everybody came up the steps and said, you look so funny with your foot hanging up there in a cast, right? It wasn't very comfortable. And I really appreciate, I said, guys, you don't appreciate it. You run up and down the steps and I can't do anything. But what happens, your thigh muscle, which is above your knee, I had a knee operation, so you're not, you're, you're, you're on crutches 
and you, your thigh muscle becomes jello. There's, there's no muscle there because you're not using it. So before they even begin, and anyone who's a PT here or an OT knows to get muscle tone, right? You have to do all these crazy exercises. Why? Because you didn't use that muscle. When you don't use that muscle, it so struggle and work builds muscle. It's the way it's the way Hashem created us in this world. So falling, it's not your fault. But many times, staying on the ground is your fault. You have to get up. You have to get up. You have to be strong. You have to go inside. Right, Watson, how could you say that? A lot of people go through things. Right, there are certain traumas that you just can't get up. And you need someone to come by and help you up and pick you up. A hundred percent. But even if that person helps you and picks you up, you still have to do the work. You have to come to the game to play. You cannot sit on the bench. You have to do the work. It happens to be that good psychologists... And I know some of them. And I happened to have sat in a session with a girl this week. And the girl kept complaining that, why aren't you telling me what to do to the therapist? Why aren't you? are not a good therapist. You're not telling me what to do. And he's like, do something. Do it wrong. And I'll tell you what you did wrong. But you have to do something. I will help you if you do something wrong. I will help you do it right. But I will not help you go from doing nothing to do something right. You've got to do something. Then we'll make it right. But I'm not going to help you do nothing. And I should carry you. And she's like, well, you don't care about me. You don't care about me. I'm telling you this trauma that I went through, and you're just sitting there... And you're not even crying. That's what she told him. And I'm like, I'm like, if he cries, then you're going to manipulate him, and you're going to control him. He cannot cry. He cannot get emotionally involved. Because the minute you get emotionally involved with your patient, she stops working. You do the work for me. And that's why the Torah says, it's an interesting mitzvah, the Torah says if your friend's animal collapses, right, you should help him lift the animal. But if he says, you lift the animal, I'm going to sit here and relax, you're not, allowed, you're not supposed to lift the animal. It's a myth in the Torah. What do you mean? The guy, if someone comes over to me and says, lift the animal, right? I'm not helping you. The Torah says, don't help him. He has to do it imoy, together with you. There's a story, I don't have the medrash. I think the medrash is in... It's and Shira Shirim. There's a story about this tzaddik. I don't have the name. I, and he and everybody was bringing to the base of Migdash, right? They were bringing all kinds of things. When they were building the base of Migdash, they were bringing gold and they were bringing silver. He had nothing. He had nothing to bring to the base of Migdash. And he was very, very upset. And he was crying to Hashem. So he went into the he went into the mountains, and he cut out. Huge stone, square stone. And he said, he said, Hashem, if you love me, I have nothing. I would love to take this stone and bring it as the cornerstone for the Beis Amigdash. I don't have anything else to give you. And the Medrash says that Hashem sent down angels. And the angels came to him and said, We are here to carry the stone to Eretz Yisrael. 
He said, okay. Yalla. And they said, no. You have to put your hand under the stone. Without you putting your hand under the stone, we cannot carry this stone. So it says he put his hand under the stone, and in one second, he was in Yerushalayim, he went in front of Bezdin, they asked him what it was all about. Said, so what's going on over here? The Malachim didn't need this silly man to, man to put his hand under a stone. They were carrying it anyway. And the answer is, if you don't put your hand under the stone, then you're not part of this. We're not doing it. We're only doing it with you being involved. Involvement. And today, a lot of people want, you take care of me, you take care of me, you take care of me. But when you do that, you take care of me, and you don't, you're not willing to get up, right? It's not going to happen. The best example you saw before my share. And the best example of what everyone should learn in this room is from Nechama sitting in front of me. Because Nechama sits every single week before I speak, and she says a poem, and she has a very hard time getting up from that chair. She has never asked somebody to carry her, lift me up, carry me to my chair, and put me down. Never. Seven years? Never said, lift me up, carry me, I can't get up, and put me in my chair. She says, I need your help, but I'm going to get up. So they help her up, but she stands up. That's the Chama, and that's why she had the Kayach to go from where she was to where she is today, because she's old school. She's like, no one's carrying me. You can help me get up, but no one's carrying me. That's old school. That's right. Go girl is right, 100%. 100%. And, and that is one of our biggest problems today. So, this first, and, and please, I, 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 I do know that you can be hurt so much that you can't get up. The truth is, if you knock somebody out on the floor, you can't say, Rawlson, get up. The guy's out. You can't say, get up. But sometimes we don't get knocked out, and it's just, it's just easier to stay down sometimes. And the way you build muscle is, is you know, is you get up, and you get up, and you get up, and you get up, and all of a sudden, it's not so hard to get up anymore. It's work. And that's what this first measure talks about. And the measure says the following. In Mishle it says, The person who withholds, spares the rod, hates his children. Someone who loves his children, disciplines them. So, so the, the Medrash asks, I don't understand. The, the custom of the world is, if a man tells his friend, if somebody would tell, tell, tell me that someone hit my child, right? I'm going to go break his head. I'm going to break his head. You hit my kid? Are you kidding me? So the manager says, so I understand. So how could you say that if, you, if, if it bothers you that someone else hits your kid, how could you hit your kid? Mm-hmm. Right? So the manager is asking, I don't understand. It bothers you that someone else hits your kid, so now you're hitting your kid? So how could Shlomo Melech say that you should hit your kid? What's going on over here? So he says the following. To teach us, that anybody who doesn't discipline his children, in the end, that child will go off the derech. In the end, he will hate that child. How do we know this? We found by Yishmael, Yishmael Shahel, I Yishmael was doing bad things. And Avram didn't discipline Yishmael. 
run. He went off the derech. And he threw him out. You see, now she's teaching you even something more. She didn't even ask for help and she got out. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. You're teaching, you're teaching the young ones. You're teaching the young ones. Absolutely. But you're teaching the young ones. Anyway. I hope I don't see you upstairs waiting for excess ride for two hours tonight (laughs) when I leave. Anyway, we're very proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm humbled. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we'll see you next week, Mr. Chef Somebody should just walk with her just in case she needs to leave. All right. Very proud of her. So, so you smile. It's very late, so I'm just going to tell you very fast. You smile. The reason he went off the derech, it says, because Abraham Avinu didn't give him Musr. And then it got worse. They saw that Yishmael was affecting Yitzchak. This, by the way, many times people come to me and they're like, you know, my kids go off the derech. And she comes home. And I think it's affecting my other kids. But I don't want to send her out of the house because she's my child. But, in the other one, in the other, but Lamaisa, my other daughter started wearing shorter skirts and she comes home with boys. She comes home with a rock and roll and her piercings and this and that. My daughters are beginning to change. And they're wildly, what do I do? Do I, do, I, do I throw my daughter out of the house? But my other kids, I'm, I'm, I'm losing my other kids. And the answer is, and my Rebbe always says, you don't have a right to sacrifice one child for another. You, you, can't, you can't allow your other three kids to go off to Derach because because you don't want to send her out of the house. You're not allowed to throw her into the street. You have to find a place for her. But Hashem gave you all these pikadons, all these kids to watch, to take care of. You don't have a right, because you want this kid to stay home, to let the other three kids go off the derech. And this was a, this was a big fight between Avram Avinu and his wife Sarah. Avram Avinu said, I am not throwing Ishmael out of the house. And Sarah Imenu said, I didn't ask you to throw him out of the house until he started coming home and bringing Avodah Zorah and showing it to my son Yitzchak. I can't have him in the house anymore. And Avram Avinu said, no, I'm not throwing him out of the house. If he's affecting Yitzchak, so be it. And Sarah Imenu said, no, you're not sacrificing my son for Yishmael. So what did they do? They went to Hashem. And they asked Hashem, what do you do? Don't be upset. Sarah told you to send them out. She's right. You don't have a right to let Yitzchak go off the derech because you love your son. So you have to send them out with water, with food, with his mother, but he's got to go out. He left and he became a very bad Russia. And he stole from everybody. And the Medrash goes on and says, so pretty much with Avram's fault that Yishmael went off the derech, he never disciplined him. And the, and the Medrash goes on and says, Vayav, Yitzchak is Esav. Yitzchak did the same thing to Esav. Esav did five Averis. He raped a, a, a girl that was, that was, she wasn't married, but she was a Murasa. He killed a person. He said there's no such thing as the next world. He said there's no such thing as God. He sold the Bechayra. Yitzchak knew about it. He didn't criticize him for any of this. He said that is why he ended up going off to Derech. Not only go off to Derech, but he wanted Yitzchak to die so he could kill Yaakov. He said, so you think that you're going to make your kid love you more by doing this? It doesn't work. And it goes on and it talks about David HaMelech and Avshalom. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't criticize him. He didn't discipline him. In the end, Avshalom tried to kill his own father. And then the Medrash says, but Avram was very tough on Yitzchak. 
And Yitzchak came out good because he disciplined Yitzchak, and Yitzchak disciplined Yaakov. And the last story he brings out is an interesting story. It's the story of Shlomo Melech. Shlomo Melech woke up late the morning they opened up the Beis Hamikdash, and it says that his mother, the Eim Hamalchus, which we translate as his mother, Batsheva, or or Rus, his great grandmother. What'd she do to him? So Mishlei it says, Mishlei was written by Shlomo Melech, Divrei Limuel Melech, Masa Yisiratu Imo. He's talking about himself, and he's saying that my mother, he, um, what's it called? That my mother hit me. So they ask, Omar of Yosef Achananya, what does this, what, what does this mean? His mother hit him. He was Shlomo Melech, he was a king, he wasn't a little boy. What does this mean? Melamed. I'm reading you the Medrash. Shikafafatu Batsheva al-Amud. That Batsheva tied him to a pole. Umako Isoi Bashevet. And she hit him with a staff. Umi Sayarto. And she, you know, read through the English. How does mother discipline him? She bound him to a pillar and she whipped him with the staff and chastised him. What did she say to him? Water my son, water my womb, water my son. How could you have been drunk on the morning of the base of being opened? How could you do that? How could you, how could, you know, and she, she gave him a lot of musr. She whacked him. Shlomo Melech. And if, it says Rus, who was his great grandmother, she said, this is what I've suffered for, to see you, you know, to see you like this. And she gave him musr. And Shlomo Melech and Mishle said, I ended up becoming who I am because I got, I got patch. Now, in our day and age, it doesn't mean pet. You're not, you don't hit your kids. But I think it's a very important lesson in Chinuch. There's this new way of bringing up children. There's someone out there that, that this is his way and he has a following, whatever it is. Happens to be a friend of mine. I don't, I don't agree with what he's doing. And that's pretty much that you give your kids whatever they want. Not only that, if they want, you go to a, a Yankee game and your daughter wants two non-kosher cheeseburgers, not only do you let her buy it, you buy it for her. Mm-hmm. Promise you. Watch following. If your daughter wants to be with a boy, not only you let her be with the boy, but you, you let her be with the boy in your house, you make the bed, you clean the laundry, you put nice smelling scented uh, candles in their room, and show them how much you love them. Sounds crazy, right? Sounds sick, sounds crazy. Huge following. Why? Because at this point, these parents don't have any relationship with their kids, and this gets them back to the relationship. And I was like, well, if God said that to all of us, there'd be no atheists. Not only you can do whatever you want, I'm going to help you do whatever you want. <laughs> Who's not going to love God? Right? But the problem with this way of bringing up children is that when you give them whatever they want, what happens is... So now this kid's parents give them whatever they want and buy them the drugs and buy them the pants and buy them all the stuff, take them for the piercings, you know, take them for whatever they want. So this girl's growing up now that whatever I want, specifically if it's wrong, my parents got it for me. So now she comes to school and she's in my class in high school and she gets up and just walks out in the middle of my class. And I'm like, where are you going? And she's like, wherever I want. I'm like, no, not in my class. She's like, at home, 
my parents let me do whatever I want. So the chinuch you're giving this child is that I can do whatever I want and I'm going to help you do whatever you want. So how's she ever going to get married? How's she going to have a relationship with her husband? He's supposed to give her everything she wants? If she wants to, to, to eat the wrong thing, he should buy it for her? He should set it up for her? And it's not going to work in a marriage. Or she's going to go to work in a job and the guy's going to go like, you took a three-hour lunch. This is not going to work. She's going to go like, what do you mean? I was brought up that I could do whatever I want. If I want a three-hour lunch, not only can I take one, you got to buy me lunch. And if I want you to sit there and look at me for three hours, you don't have to do that because the world runs around me. I said, what kind of chinuch? This kid's going to crash. They do crash because they can't be in class. They can't go to school. They can't get a job, keep a job, and they can't be married. That's not... It's not growth. It's not the way of the world. And sometimes, if your kid's not talking to you because you're not helping them do the wrong thing, so be it. So be it. Because one day, they will talk to you and they will do the right thing. I'm not saying this. Medjish Tenchum is saying this. Yitzchak, Avram thought he's going to be nice to Yishmael. Yishmael's going to love him. Yishmael became the biggest robber. Yitzchak thought he'd be nice to Esau. Listen, he did five big averages. I'm not going to say anything. He ended up hoping his father would die. David Amelech thought he'd be nice to have Shalom. Shalom tried to kill him. Being nice doesn't, is not what makes someone love you. So, what is the right chinuch, Rabbi Wallace? Okay, so you tell me what's wrong. What is the right chinuch? And the right chinuch is as follows. I get calls all the time from schools. Rabbi Wallerstein, we want you to come to whatever the school is. We want you to give a sneers class to the 11th and 12th graders. I'm like, I'm a guy. <laughs> and they're like, exactly. The 12, 11th, 12th graders are complaining that they always get their teenage classes from women. They want to hear the man's point of view. In other words, if we're not dressed sneers, is it really so bad? You know, we're always hearing from women. We want to hear from your point of view, right? Whilst we think that it would be, we heard one of your shir, we think it would be really great if you'd come to our school and give, you know, and I'm like, I can't do that. I'm like, why not? I'm like, because you want me to criticize them. I can't criticize someone that doesn't know that I care about them. You can't just walk into a room and criticize people. Because if I'm criticizing you guys, let's say in this room, I don't know you. So, I'm not disciplining you to help you, because I don't even know you. I'm disciplining you because that's what I want to do. It's not for you, it's for me. I want to hear myself, but you have it. So, kids, when their parents discipline them, but they're not getting the love, they're like, my mother is upset. So she's yelling at me. She doesn't care about me. She wants to get her over chest. She wants to yell at me. So if I'm going to walk in talking about Sneers, she's going to be like, Wallace doesn't care about us. He wants to give it Sneers share. I have boys that smoke. One of my town meet them. And they smoke. I, I'll give you a, a story in BCA. In BCA, my high school, seven years ago. So I got very close to a girl. And she knew that I really cared about her. And whatever she needed, I mean, all my girls know that. I'll do whatever they need. She was a very big smoker. She had just come off drugs and she was smoking cigarettes a lot, a lot, a lot. Every time I walked out of the building, she was smoking a cigarette. Now the rule was we didn't throw anyone out for smoking cigarettes. It was very, very unhealthy. 
And because I cared about her, I sat her down one day and I said, listen to me. I said, don't you want to live to see your grandchildren and your children? I'm like, if you're going to keep smoking, first of all, women who smoke, their children are very are preemies most of the time. So first of all, you're not just hurting yourself, you're hurting your little baby, and that baby might be born a preemie with lungs undeveloped. I mean, it's not fear. You're, it's, it's, not, it's, it's worse than selfish. You're hurting, you're hurting somebody else. I said, you know that I care about you, so I'm not just telling you not to smoke, because I have nothing else to do with myself. I really don't, I want you to stop. Of course, it didn't work. So what happens? I go into the elevator, and she's in the elevator, and we're going up to the school from in the morning, and I'm sitting in the elevator, and I'm going, Mommy! She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, Mommy! Why did you have to die so young, and now I don't have a mommy? And she's like, stop saying that! The whole year I bothered her. Every time I met her in the hall, Mommy! She stopped. Took me a year, she stopped. Now, that's crazy. Right, Wallstein? That's crazy. And the answer is, no. No, I care about you and you're going to be a mommy. What are you, what, what are you going to do to your kid? So, yes, there are people who smoke who live for 100 years, but the percentage is, I'm like, so I care about you. So she stopped. But if I just walk up to someone in the street, I'm like, Stop smoking. It's really not good for you. They're going to be like, shut up. You don't even know me. You just want to hear yourself talk, man. You want to hear yourself talk? Get out of here. But if it's someone that I love, and I tell them to stop smoking, and they know I love them, they will stop. So you don't have a right to discipline someone unless they know that you care about them. That's the part that everybody misses. Because nobody has time to care about anybody. So you have two choices. If I don't have time to develop this relationship, then I have two of two, one of two choices. One, scream and yell at you, right? Because we don't have a relationship. Discipline, you scream and yell at you, or give you whatever you want. Because that doesn't take time. Neither one of those disciplines take time. To scream and yell at you doesn't take time. To give you whatever you want doesn't take time. To develop a relationship that you're willing to listen to me because I care, that takes time. So the Rambam says in Hilchas Talmud Torah, in the laws of teaching, that the only way to teach a child, whether you're a parent or a Rebbe, is to hug them, he says, and to hit them. But it has to be in that order. Hit them again doesn't mean slapping them, it means disciplining them. That's the, that's, that's the word he uses, but it means disciplining them. Hug them, if you... If you hit them, and my Rebbe said this, it was a very good line, if you, if you hit them, means you discipline them, first, you'll never get a chance to hug them. But if you hug them first, they'll always listen to your discipline. And that was the Rambam, who we know how smart he was. He said, if you want to bring up your children correctly, and you want to have the ability to tell them when they're doing something wrong, you first have to show them that you love them. And if you show them that you love them, they will listen to everything you say. You don't got to buy them burgers, and you don't got to make the bed for them, and you don't got to do all this nonsense. If they know that you love them, then when you speak to them, and you, you I had coaches, coaches, okay, in hockey that I knew cured that they wanted me to be the best hockey player. I knew that. So when they told me, I had this one coach that told me that I have to learn how to skate backwards better. Because in hockey, when you, you back up, 
right? I was an offensive, but defense, you have to know how to back up. So you have to know how to skate backwards. Not only forwards, but backwards. I wasn't a good skater backwards. But you have to be. When the guy's coming at you, you got you got to back up. So he said to me, you got to come down to the ice skating rink, and you got to skate backwards for an hour. Do you know how dizzy you get skating backwards for an hour? So you skate backwards to the end of the ice, and you turn around, and then you skate back to the other side. People think you're cuckoo-cuckoo. This guy is a dyslexic ice skater. He skates backwards, right? No way! The guy would walk onto me in the ice and say, you, I think you should skate backwards for an hour. I would say, have a nice day. I'm going to hit you with my hockey stick. Get out of here. But I knew that this coach wanted Zachai Wallstein to be a great hockey player. So I was like, no problem, man. You want me to, if you tell me to skate backwards for six hours, I will do that. Because you believe in me. And you're doing this not to, to hear yourself talk. You're doing this because you want me to get better. Your children have to know that when you discipline them, it's because you love them. Not because you have a short fuse. And the lack of discipline means you don't have the time. You are looking for the fast. Buy you a toy. Watch Elmo. Go there. Go here. You need a Frank. I'll buy it for you so that we can talk to each other. No. It doesn't work. You get your schmals, asubs, and shalom's. doesn't work, says the Medrash. What works is to give discipline. But before you give a share on sneers, those girls in the room need to know that you care about how they look for their own self-esteem. So then, Rabbi Wolfsky, we want to hear what guys think. But if you're just coming in here because you're some from guy that wants to give a whole speech and hear yourself talk, what it sounds like is, eh, you don't even want to hear what I have to say. And that's a Medrashava. And this, this Chinuch from thousands of years ago is still the right chinuch. It's the only chinuch, and it is the right chinuch. So as, as young ladies, okay, and it doesn't matter whether you're a grandmother or great-grandmother or a mother or a teacher or whatever, whatever you are, as young ladies, you need to know that you need to make enough time with your kids. You need to hug them. They need to know that you love them. If they know that you love them, then you can discipline them. And it works. My father was a soldier. In my house, there was no such word as I can't. He was tough. He had his hair with butch wax like a marine. I had to take crew cuts as a kid. The reason I still have a little long hair is because I had to take these crew cuts, which is a zero. And I used to come to school and all the kids were like, oh, that's pretty funny because I'm not Hasidish, right? So then when I, was, when I was 13 years old, he was like, you can take your own haircuts. Oh, you sh- I have very long hair because, right? But no matter what he told me to do, and I used to sit next to him in shul with all the kids after, like, you're, you're little kids, so by, by Shemar Esrei Laning, they would go outside and play bottle caps and races and everything. I sat next to my father in shul. For when I was, he said, if you're old enough to come to shul, then you're old enough to sit in shul. My, they were yek- On top of being a, a, a soldier, they were yekis. So... If you're old enough to come to shul, then you, then you sit next to me in shul. And I sat next to him in shul. And there was no such thing as talking in shul. I never have talked in shul my whole life. I'm 57 years old. Hashem's my witness. I don't talk in shul. I was brought up by a father. He was tough. All the other kids were running around outside. Right? The bottom line is that on the way to shul, we had contests. On the way home, we had contests. I made a Shabbos play the night before. Went to the candy man. I knew that this man loved me like nobody else. So if you tell me to sit next to you and not get up, I don't understand why I'm eight years old and I can't get up, but I trust the man sitting next to me that he loves me, so whatever he tells me, I trust is for my good. 
That's the way to bring up children. And the Rabbi Walson that's sitting in front of you today, whether you like me or you don't like me, whatever I am or I'm not, is because of the way my parents brought me up. And I earned everything that I got. And there's no better feeling in this world than getting things because you earned them. Getting things for free, in the end of the day, you have no feelings whatsoever. That's what I encourage Baruch Hu in this week's parsha. Vayitav, the best thing that he could give Yocheved and Miriam was that they could see that the fruits of their labor was successful. That is the greatest, the greatest nachas a person can have is to see that their children, that they put all that work into, that it worked out correctly. That starts with love. May we all be to see the coming of, of the end of the Golitha that we're coming in into Shemos. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.